Are you a theist or a deist? This book came out of our antique section in the library. It's Thomas Jefferson's work that he did toward the end of his life. And he named it the Morals and Ethics of Jesus of Nazareth. This copy from the library is over 114 years old. So I have to be careful with it. But Jefferson wrote that in the 1870s. And Jefferson was somewhat hard, hard to understand and interpret. When you listen to many people, you see him almost as a Christian martyr in the founding of the United States. Look at other historians, and they see him strictly as a deist somebody that really didn't have Christian principles. He was somewhere in between. But he was definitely not an orthodox believer in Christ. He denied the Trinity and other things. And later in life, he wanted to put down his gospel beliefs, you might call them, in this little book that he wrote. And what he did, he took a French New Testament, copy of the Gospels primarily, took a Latin one and a Greek one and an English one, and he went through those things and he used a pen knife and he cut out the sections that he did not believe. He kept the other sections and put them together in somewhat of a harmony of the Gospels that express the morals and life of Jesus the way that he saw Jesus. Without the, again, without the miraculous things and God's foreknowledge and God's decree of all creation and the works of men. That line of thinking led him to end his work with this. Again, he's done a harmony of the Gospels. Put it all together. Took out the parts he didn't like or didn't agree with. Get down to verse 40 at the end here. He says that they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes and the spices as in the manner of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein a never a man had laid. There they laid Jesus and they rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And that, according to Jefferson, is the end of the life and work of Jesus Christ. Dead in the grave, just like all the other so-called great moral religious teachers of the day. And he left it there. He was a certainly a deist to a great extent. He did not believe again in the decree and the foreknowledge and the providence of God. Did not believe in the miracles of God. He believed somewhat like the, the illustration goes that the deist believes that God was a great manufacturer, great watchmaker. And the world creation was like a watch, perfect watch that he had created on his own. And he made it, put it together, wound it up according to his natural laws, and it's running out its course to the end. And God does not take a personal interest or personal stake in what goes on day by day. Things are just sort of running on its own. 
in the area of salvation, lots of people that I believe are truly born again, they take the things of God until they get to the point that we're talking about today in the election of God's saints. When they get to that point, they say, I believe in the Trinity, I believe in the orthodox things of Christ, that he died and rose again. I go beyond where Jefferson stopped. I do believe that Christ rose again and ascended back into heaven. But somewhat like Jefferson, I believe that God by his moral laws and his power, he set these things in motion. He provided things for us, but he stands back and watches to see what we're going to do. And then somehow, he's somewhat like us. We have maybe a lot of knowledge, we have a lot of skills. We can plan ahead. And every day, even though I'm accomplished in some ways, even though I'm educated in some ways, even though I'm sanctified and changed in some ways, I have to make adjustments every day according to what goes on around me. And really, I'm the one that makes all the decisions and all the choices. And I'm God. Theist or deist? Where would you fall today? If you look at the New Hampshire Confession of Faith that Association of Baptists adopted in 1900 as the original Confession of Faith, You've got to go back to understand this, I believe, to just a couple of weeks ago to two other foundational principles behind this idea or principle of election. Number one, to the fall of mankind. We believe that man was created in holiness under the law of his maker, but by voluntary transgression fell from that holy and happy state, in consequence of which now all mankind are sinners every one of them not by constraint but by choice we're not made to be sinners nobody causes us to sin we do it by choice it's our nature being utterly void of the holiness required by the law of God positively inclined to evil not just prone towards sin, but positively inclined towards evil. And therefore, we're under the just condemnation and eternal ruin without defense or excuse. Inclined positively towards evil. Inclined positively away from God. That is our nature. On the road, Highway 84, into Waco, Texas, on the north side of the highway, there is a pet shop. I've been in more than once. Front part has little cats and little dogs and all those kind of things, hamsters. Go to the back room, it's about half the size, it's big, about half the size of this chapel. Aquariums everywhere. Probably at least three or four dozen aquariums. And in the middle there is one that is about three feet by about 18 inches, a big deep one. And rather than little tropical fish and goldfish and things in there, there is one fish in there. It's a large mouse bass, about that long and about that high. And you can go in there, and you look at all the other little fish, and you ask, why is that guy over there by himself all alone? It's 
because he'll eat them all. The rest of them. And you can go to the front desk and they will sell you goldfish for 10 cents each. And you get that little goldfish and you go to the top of that aquarium and drop it. And the second, split second that he hits the water, he's gone. So fast, you cannot even see it happen. Even if you're trying to watch, it happens so quick, you can't see him go in his mouth and be gone. And you get to the front of his head and drop it and it works. You get right over the top of him and it works. You can go behind his tail and drop it and he will hit it before you can even blink your eye. Why can he do that? Because his nature is a large mouth bass. I don't think he can even stop himself. I don't know how many he can eat before he quits eating. But I dropped five one day in a row. And he ate every one of them again in the blink of an eye. Why could he do that? Why could he get that one that was behind him he couldn't even see? Because it's his nature to eat goldfish, not to leave them alone. The reason we sin is because it's our nature to do so. It says we are without, we're at an eternal ruin. John chapter 3 says, contrary to what a lot of people believe in the world today, that there is a great judgment day coming and that the judgment day is based upon how much good and how much bad that you do and you weigh the scales and nobody, even if you don't believe in that exactly, nobody knows whether or not they're going to be in heaven or they're going to be in hell for all of eternity. John chapter 3 says you are condemned already. Every one of us, before we're regenerated by Christ, one old preacher said that we have the smell of smoke on us already. The smoke of hell. Man is fallen by nature, has no excuse, and has no alternatives. Number seven. So if that's the case, and we know, as the Bible says also, that none seek after God. Not a single one to the point. It says it three times. There's none good. There's none that seeks after God. No, not one. But we know some people go to heaven. How does that happen? Well, God has to intervene, interject himself in Article 7. The grace of regeneration. We believe that in order to be saved, sinners must be regenerated or born again. That regeneration consists in the giving of a holy disposition to the mind. That it's affected in a manner above our comprehension by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't know how it happens. We just know that Christ gives us a new life. John 3 again says we are born from above. More accurately than born again. It comes from a source. We don't understand how it happens. We can't exactly time it out. We can't exactly write it all down like we would like to. But it's affected in a manner above our comprehension. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Not by our own power. By our intellect. In connection with the divine truth. There's always the preaching or proclamation. Teaching of the word. Where this happens. So as to secure our voluntary obedience. God does not force us to sin. 
God does not force us to believe. So how does all this work out? That is the proper evidence when we're regenerated that we see as proper evidence in the holy fruits of repentance and faith. When it happens, we don't know exactly we, beforehand. We don't know when it's going to happen. Nobody knows. When Christ is going to come into our hearts and minds, give us new hearts and new minds, as it says in Ezekiel. But when it does happen, there's always something that goes with it. Repentance and faith, there is a changed life. So there we are. Fallen nature, inability to come to God, man inclined positively towards sin, positively away from God. And it has to be changed to have any hope at all. We have to be regenerated, changed by God. We can't change ourselves. And we see that process, we see it happen around us over and over again. We see these changed people, and then we see some that are never changed. How does that come about? What is the answer to who is and who doesn't? If we're all positively inclined away from God, why is it that some come to God? Why is it that some are regenerate by the grace of God? Well, that's where you get to number nine. God's purpose of grace. We believe because we are all depraved, because we are all unable to come to God on our own, and that we would never come on our own. We believe that the choice, the election of God, is the eternal plan or purpose of God. That He did it, He made this plan before eternity ever began according to which he graciously the potter over the clay according to which he graciously regenerates us and doesn't just leave it there with a new birth he sanctifies us sets us aside and saves sinners the whole is one whole process nobody is ever born again that isn't sanctified Nobody that's sanctified is never lost in the end. He regenerates us, sanctifies, and saves sinners. And it is perfectly consistent with the free agency of man. Now, look at those two words. Free agency of man. Notice what it does not say. Does not say the free will of man. Now think deeply for a second. Free agency versus free will. You can choose to do whatever you want to do. You can choose to sin. It's your choice to sin or not to sin. But what will you choose? When you hang a goldfish over a largemouth bass and drop him in the water. What does he choose? He chooses to eat the goldfish. You take man, woman, whatever, in their fallen state, and you hang the goldfish of sin over them, they're going to grab the goldfish every time. Why? 
goldfish, that bass, he has a choice. He doesn't have to eat. Nobody propels him, compels him to eat that goldfish every time. Nobody compels you, makes you sin. That's free agency. But you're going to sin because why? You are dead in your trespasses and sins. You are a child of wrath by nature. And that is our nature that we're born with to sin. We don't have to. Nobody makes us. But that's our nature. That's what we're going to do. And we're not going to, by our nature, fall down and worship the Lord Jesus Christ and make Him the Lord and Master of our lives. We're not going to do it. But, election is the eternal plan of God, whereby He does that through regeneration. Compromises, excuse me, comprehends all the means to the end. He plans the whole thing from beginning to end. None of it happens by chance. It's all God's plan. As the scripture says that he wrote our names before the foundation of the world. Now, why did he do that? As Paul, excuse me, as Paul said again, Romans 9, that it is the most glorious display of God's sovereign goodness. Why did he do it? Why did he condemn some, allow some to be condemned? And why does he save some? Romans 9 says because he's going to show his mercy and grace in comparison to those that are lost. He has the power. He says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And the contrast of God's justice and his grace magnifies God's grace. It's being infinitely free. We cannot buy it. We cannot purchase it. We cannot earn it in any way. It's holy, it's wise, and unchangeable. God is a spirit who's infinite, eternal, and unchanging in all his characteristics. Now, if you take that into consideration, it's totally against my nature to come to Christ. And that through regeneration from not a choice of my own, but God's choice in choosing me, that I come into the kingdom of God, and I had no part in it, what does that lead to? It utterly excludes, or completely, utterly excludes boasting. I can never stand before God or stand before man and say the reason that I'm in the kingdom of God is something that I did, something that I thought, some religious deed I performed, some moral deed or deeds that outweighed my good deeds, not because I was born a Jew or anything else. It utterly excludes boasting and simultaneously by contrast promotes the ultimate humility of mankind before God. It causes me not only to be humble but to love, to prayer, and to praise and trust in God. Totally, completely turning to Christ. And active imitation of his free mercy. What does it do to me when God changes my heart from a selfish, deceitful, prone to bitterness, and all the failures of mankind 
when God, when I realize that he's chosen me and he caused me to be born again through no good in me. You can stop right there for just a moment. I left something out. You know what the most ridiculous thing I think that anybody ever said? That knew a little bit of the New Testament and studied very closely Romans chapter 8 verse 28 and those other passages to look at those things and think that somehow through some ridiculous academic acrobatics that somehow God is a magnificent fortune teller and one day he got out his crystal ball and he could see somewhere down the corridors of time I could see that Charlie Holmes was going to choose him so I'm going to so God then chooses him that's an absolute absurdity that makes you a soteriological deist active imitation of his free mercy it causes me to extend to some degree mercy to other people because of the mercy that Christ has extended to me that's why I forgive others from the heart that's why you have to you've been born again by Christ you cannot hold that bitterness in your heart for an extended period of time and not suffer greatly and I do believe you will suffer to the point that before you die if you're one of kids children he'll bring you to repentance and forgiveness along the way can you hold or have you held bitterness and despise someone for a long period of time you sit still right there in your heart right now that's evidence that perhaps you have not been born again because if you are and you understand God's mercy free mercy you'll forgive other people it also encourages the use of means another absurdity that you hear oftentimes is that well if I believe that well I just stay home and I never witness to anybody I never preach the gospel I never send out missionaries I believe that that's an absurdity in every way we believe in the use of means we believe in using the things that God gave us because that's his tool that brought me to him and my obligation is to share it with other people using the same means that the gospel came to me in the highest degree somebody that really believes in the sovereignty of God and election they believe that it is their utmost responsibility to take the gospel to other people and give a free offer of the gospel to anybody that will listen that it is ascertained by its effects I can tell if I'm elect or not chosen by God or not by its effects the effects of repentance and faith my life turns around and I believe the truth and my life has changed and I can forgive others my life changes you can tell for certain you can discover the certainty of God's choice of you and bringing you into the kingdom by the changes that it makes in your life 
sadly one group Roman Catholics believe that anybody that says that you know for certain that you're going to be in heaven one day with Christ that is an absolute worst assumption presumption that anybody can ever make can you imagine going all your life live 70 or 80 years and never thinking you could truly know whether or not you have experienced the grace of Christ I know that I have experienced the grace of Christ because he's changed my life and I know what my life was and I know the effects that it had in my life and I didn't bring it about he did it and you can ascertain that you're among his people if you see these changes in your life and then it says to ascertain it with regard to ourselves see it with certainty deserves the utmost diligence we don't just sit back well I know God called me and I know that I'm in the kingdom and I know I was elect so I just sit back and nothing happens in my life that's absolute insanity the next step beyond that is treated in this next passage which I'll take very shortly if we know that God's grace takes fallen people regenerates them and he brings them into the kingdom by his own power and there no, has nothing to do it's unconditional not conditioned on his foreknowledge not conditioned on my works anything else it's only the grace of Christ if that's happened in our life we begin to see it what happens sanctification we believe that sanctification is the what starts with a P on your page what is it? it's a process whereas regeneration is in instantaneous sanctification is a process which according to the will of God we are made partakers of his holiness that it is a progressive work I'm so glad that it's progressive and hopefully it will continue to progress in my life and I believe that it will a good definition again of sanctification if you kind of boiled all this down it would be a decreasing frequency of sin in our lives thanks be to God I never declare myself to be sanctified more than anybody else but I know there's been a degree and I know it works day after day week after week if it didn't what hope would we ever have it's a progressive work and it's begun it says a regeneration and that is carried on in the hearts of believers by the power of God not by our power not by some church's power not by some preacher's power but by the power of the Holy Spirit he does it in continual use of the appointed means what are the appointed means that God uses that we're to use for people for the elect to come into the work of the Holy Spirit into his individual local New Testament churches and into the kingdom of God what are the means use the appointed means what has God said he's going to use to bring people into the kingdom of God puppet shows the wrestling displays it's going to be putting on 
dramatic presentations? What are the means? The appointed means are especially the Word of God being read and preached and heard. God chose by the foolishness of preaching to save them that are going to be saved. That's His choice, not mine. Self-examination. I look at myself, try the best I can on the influence of the Holy Spirit to see myself as I truly am, where I was and what the Holy Spirit did for me in regeneration. I examine myself continually to promote the sanctification. Self-denial. Sanctification requires self-denial. To look at myself and say, Self, you are not worthy of God's grace in your life. And I look at the things that I've done, that may be good things it seems in the flesh or to the public, and I look at those things and say they're all filthy rags. Nothing counts in my life except the sanctifying, redeeming blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only thing. Watchfulness. God says in sanctification, He wants me to participate, to put forth some effort. Be watchful. And we're watchful in prayer. Those are what promotes or increases, pushes our sanctification. When we are chosen by God, when we're regenerated in time, and God begins the process of sanctification, the only possible logical outcome is number 11. The perseverance of the saints. More aptly called, in my mind, the preservation of the saints. It was up to me to keep myself by my own power. I would fall in an instant, without a doubt. We believe that only those that are real believers endure to the end. Years ago, when I started the school, 1990-1989 here, one of the big things, controversies in religion going on at that time was what was called works salvation, something like that. And John MacArthur wrote a book back then, Salvation According to Jesus. It was opposed by some guys from DTS, I think Zane Hodges was the main one, and they said, basically, there's some nuance to it, basically the idea is this. You can be saved and then never, you can be truly regenerate and never show any signs, any good works, any change of life of any extent at all. Whereas MacArthur's position was that if you're truly born again, you really are going to have the fruits of repentance and faith in your life. Something is going to change. Without a doubt, early Baptists, our forefathers, always believed in the perseverance of the saints. They continue in the work of God. The only person, perhaps, could ever be that didn't have any good works could be the person that dies regenerate and dies the next second before he can take another breath. But he's still going to be in the presence of Christ. We believe that such only are the real believers endure to the end. Somebody that is a false professor as I mentioned down here in a little while, they're going to give in. They're going to fall. They're not going to persevere to death. 
that from their persevering attachment to Christ, that is the grand mark that distinguishes them from superficial professors. Persevering sanctification, that is the mark, the change in a person's life that distinguishes them from the world. Be ye separate, come out from among them. How does it happen? A special providence of God. Providence is God's working all things together for good that love God and are called according to His purpose. God handles, manages, directs everything, the special providence over our welfare. That verse there in Romans chapter 28, what is the purpose? You can take that and you can almost understand, almost believe, like that song, can I really believe it? That all of this creation, all of eternity, that goes on around me. All the history in the past. All the history to come. Can it really be? Can it be? That God has directed all these things. To my good. The good of his chosen people. And his glory. That's what Romans 8.28 says. Special providence watches over our welfare. And they are kept by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation total depravity and inability answered by regeneration at the hands of God by the power of the Holy Spirit that we cannot completely understand we cannot completely thoroughly teach it in a way that gives glory enough to God and then if that happens who is it that God regenerates How's that decision made? Who decides who's going to be regenerate and who is not? God. And then if he does, what happens? We begin a process of sanctification. And the end of that sanctification process is that we are preserved in the hands of God. We stopped at the end of Jefferson's little harmony of the gospels with a dead Jesus in a tomb. Jefferson wanted to take out the resurrection and anything miraculous. I wonder also if he would take out I looked, tried to find it. It's hard to do because it's sort of a piecemeal kind of thing. But you look on the internet and you can find an index. Now I wonder what else he might take out. Well, he took out John chapter 10 after verse 16. That didn't suit him either. Jesus answered them, I told you, that you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. 
and I know them and they follow me I'm glad that the pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Mahia, Texas didn't decide to take out John chapter 10 I'm glad that he was not a soteriological deist because I know a little sheep that heard his voice and he knew me and I've been following him since I was in the first grade and he sanctified me to an extent still going on I know without a shadow of a doubt the only reason I will be preserved to the end is because of the Lord Jesus' choice to bring me into his kingdom.